Yle Podcast. This podcast series is based on my experiences while making the documentary film Who Was Felix Kirsten? The film is about Heinrich Himmler's mysterious personal doctor and the revelations that followed. The reason for making this podcast is that after finishing the documentary, well, suffice it to say that the Felix Kirsten story never really went away. Episode 1 Story Too Good to Be True Felix Kersten first came into my life in 1996. I was meeting a friend at a Helsinki cafe, curious to see this material that he said I would find interesting. When our coffees arrived, he fished a magazine out of his bag and slammed it on the table. Isn't this a good subject for a documentary film? He said, pointing to the title of an article, Felix Kersten, Finland's Forgotten Gift to the World? I skimmed the article in the cafe. It was a brief history about a Finnish citizen who had been the notorious Nazi leader Heinrich Himmler's personal masseuse going back to the 30s and ending with the collapse of the Nazi Reich. The article claimed that exploiting his role as a masseuse, Felix Kersten managed to save tens of thousands of people from concentration camps and subsequently was later nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I have to admit that I was a bit suspicious. I had never heard of that man. Had he been an international hero like Wallenberg? Why was he under the radar? Could it be that discovering this article in that particular magazine devoted to writings about paranormal phenomenons, UFOs, and ghosts is more of an X-Files theme than real? I thanked my friend and asked him if I could keep the issue. Then we went on our separate ways. Now, I called my friend again to ask why he pointed this article out to me. I knew that he had had some kind of spiritual experience in 1992. A businessman and a director of commercials had changed to a person who started to look for his spiritual path. When he answered, he asked, Do you know what I'm doing now? No, I replied. I'm walking along the seashore and conversing with an eagle. It's flying above me, and sometimes it comes very close to me. I asked him what he remembers about the moment when he shared that article with me. He replied that at that time, he had found his own calling as a healer. Somehow, he had stumbled upon the article about Felix Kersten, and he thought immediately that this has to belong to Arto. So he called me. We met in a cafe. He showed me the article, and that, as they say, is history. He went on to say that these kinds of things depend on how far and how deep you look into them. That eagle up there in the sky has quite a wide view, but on the other hand, it has eyes which are really sharp. It's able to see the whole view, but on the other hand, it can also focus on a small mouse on the ground. So, the Kirsten case is very complicated, depending on from where you're looking at it. I headed for a library. 
The article mentioned that Felix Kersten had written memoirs. There it was, on a shelf. I borrowed it and started to read. The whole story started with strange, promising words. All these stories I tell you may sound like the tales of Baron von Munchausen. But I can assure you, they are all true. I read the whole book in one sitting. In his memoirs, Felix Kersten says that he was born in Dorpat, now Tartu, Estonia, 1898. He had studied at an agricultural school in Germany, but his studies were interrupted by the breakout of World War I. At the end of the war, he joined the Finnish army in 1919, and as a reward for some heroic action, he received Finnish citizenship in 1920. Later, because of an episode of rheumatic fever, he was hospitalized, and, by chance, an attending doctor by the name of Koleander noticed that Kersten possessed skills in massaging and recommended that he study the profession. Kersten then decided to move to Berlin for further studies. In Berlin, Kersten meets a Tibetan Buddhist masseur named Dr. Ko, who taught him the secret of doing it, quote, right. A year later or so, Dr. Ko declares that now that Kersten has mastered the deeper knowledge of Tibetan massage, there's no longer a reason for Dr. Ko to stay in Berlin, and he hands over the reins and practice to Kersten. Kersten takes over the practice in 1925, and in the process, gains Dr. Ko's patients, who turn out to be very influential. Industrial leaders, bankers, and royals. Kersten moved to Holland, where one of his clients included the husband of Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands, Prince Henrik. In 1939, leading German industrialists, afraid that the Nazis would nationalize their factories, requested Kersten to commence massage therapy for Reichführer Heinrich Himmler, who was suffering from chronic painful stomach cramps. After an initial treatment, it became apparent that Kersten was the only one who could bring some relief to Himmler. And then the die was cast. Kersten is to stay in Berlin and be at Himmler's beck and call. While he had little choice, Kersten realized that being in that position, he could perhaps help other people, and the rest is history. When World War II was over, Kersten claimed that he had saved the lives of no less than 60,000 prisoners, perhaps even more. Move aside, Oskar Schindler. Afterwards, I was both stunned and shocked, asking myself once more, why haven't I heard about this man before? I searched the internet, and I found photos of this man. A bit chubby, ordinary-looking man, with a round face, looking directly to the camera lens standing alone somewhere outside in a bunch of flowers, standing with Himmler, always in civil clothes amongst Nazi officers. Some photos of him much younger, in a Finnish army uniform, smiling nicely. With nice small mustache, he's looking a bit like a charmer. He must have had success amongst the women. And that's the moment my journey began. 
I decided to make Felix Kersten the subject of a documentary. I approached a production company, which took an immediate interest. They introduced me to Jan Wellman, who signed on as producer for the film. We drafted a list of persons we should interview. We found that Kersten was survived by his son, Arno Kersten, and his wife, Ungard Kersten. Next on the list was Sir Hugh Trevor Roper, a.k.a. Baron Docker of Glanton, an eminent British historian who penned the foreword to Kersten's memoirs. Jan got busy and started making phone calls to arrange meetings. It quickly dawned on us that the story is not going to be an easy one. There were layers and layers of the story that needed to be uncovered, if at all. Hello, yeah. Yeah. Neil, it's a Wallamis. Are you ready? Yeah. So do you remember I gave you a list of uh, characters you were supposed to call, and one of them was, of course, uh, Lord Dacre. Do you remember that phone call? Because it was interesting. Let me see now. This is 20 years ago. <laughs> so I don't remember all the uh, details of the call, but I do remember calling and it was actually surprisingly easy to arrange the meeting. And do you remember him when he was telling that, do you know, young man, that you are on deep waters? That's what I recall. <laughs> yeah, uh, although I didn't take it as seriously as, as you did. Um, the way I understood that message was that the story is very complex and the truth has nothing to do with the official version of the truth, which was that the official version of the truth was that Felix Kersten was a savior and a hero. And the official version didn't exactly jibe with the actual events of the story eventually. So I, I think he was re referring to that fact and because he thought that we were making a character piece on, on Felix. Yes. I started to dig deeper into the Kersten case. In the National Archive, I found one file compiled by the secret police that contained materials pertaining to Kirsten pre and during World War II. The file was a little too thin. If we recall that Kirsten was positioned next to one of the most powerful Nazi leaders, why was the Finnish secret police unable to collect more about him? The file contained Kirsten's military record. He had come to Finland amongst the German troops in 1919. According to the documents, he had served in the German army from 1914 to 1918 as part of the Baltische Landeswehr, Jäger Regiment, 36 and 93, and in Central Polizei, Baltenland. He had participated in battles on the French Front, Italian Front, Dardanese, and also in Verdun, Somme, Kamelberg, La Basse, Marne, and so on. He was wounded in the leg in Somme, and so were both of his hands in Verdun. For his bravery, he was awarded an Iron Cross, the Hansa Cross, and the Friedrich August Cross. He had achieved the rank of a warrant officer, and between 1917 and 1918, he participated in an officer training course. Quite a heroic record, if I have to say. Almost unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
1918, Finland had been the scene of a bloody civil war between the White and Red armies, with German troops coming to help the former. Kirsten was amongst those Germans. When the Red Army was defeated, Kirsten stayed on and was the head of one inland civil guards unit. He was given Finnish citizenship in 1920. In his memoirs, Kirsten related that he was taking part in an officer course in the Finnish army and during that same time, he was struck by severe rheumatic fever and had to be hospitalized. In the hospital, one of the doctors noticed that Kirsten had a set of skills for healing massages. He left the army and moved to Berlin to study medicine at the university. One of the documents was extremely interesting, but at the same time amusing. It was a letter dated 1942, 20 years later. It was addressed to then Finland president Risto Ruti, suggesting that Felix Kersten be given the Commander Medal of the Order of the White Rose, one of the highest Finnish honors. For the deeds for the good of Finland. In the same letter, Kersten is also recommended to be given a Finnish honorary title, La Neobos, awarded to people merited in some medical field, usually coming from an academic medical background. The left side of the letter carried a handwritten note, probably written by President Rüti. Wouldn't the medal be enough? Could it be that President Rüti was unwilling to give Kersten the honorary title? A journalist friend pointed me in the direction of two other parties who had already researched Kirsten and could possibly be of some help. Boris Solomon. Boris contacted the House of Estates to ask about the exact reasoning for the medal, but the House of Estates declined to divulge. They told Boris that the reason for the medals were not made public. The House of Estates asked me to contact Mr. Antti Matikala, PhD, who had been researching that particular era. Matikkala. No tässä on Koskinen Arto päivää. Terve, terve. Mä toivon, että katsoin YouTubeilla, joku oli mulla aikanaan katsomatta se, kuka oli Felix Kersteen, mutta se oli ihan tosi mielenkiintoisesti. Trevor Raupareita ja muitakin löydetty haastateltavaksi. Bittingin tekemässä kunniamerkkiesityksessä, niin siinä viitataan vaan liitteenä olevaan. Antti Matikkala explains that the reasonings for medals were not needed if the official Grand Master knew them already. The Commander Medal of the Order of the White Rose for Kirsten was suggested by Foreign Minister Whitting, but no specific merits were cited as a reason. Probably the real reason was Heinrich Himmler's visit to Finland, where Kirsten was one member of Himmler's staff. Earlier, they had given a medal to Adolf Hitler's deputy doctor, Karl Brandt, so they thought that they also have to give one to Himmler's doctor as well. Finnish ambassador in Germany Kivi Mackin and Field Marshal Mannerheim had also exchanged long letters about what kind of medal they should give Heinrich Himmler. It can't be less than what they had given to Hermann Göring, but Mannerheim also noted that they had to think about the future relations. It shouldn't be too high, so they ended up giving Himmler the cross of freedom with swords. So medals and honorary titles were also politics where you had to play carefully. 
Kirsten's honorary title lacking Danaovos, which is a kind of a high honorific medical title in Finland, was actually a wish that came from the German side. That's what Foreign Minister Witting explained to German Ambassador von Blücher when he wondered whether Kirsten really had the honorary title of lacking Danaovos. Yes, replied Witting. He has, because the German government had wished for that honor. That was interesting. Later, I discovered that Kirsten didn't have any real medical education except for a kind of a diploma, Doctor for Natural Health. I wrote a synopsis and approached the film commissioners and the Finnish Broadcasting Company. Both places were surprised because no one had ever heard of Kirsten, even though he was a Finn and occupied a prominent position close to one of the most powerful Nazi monsters. And on top of that, he had four times been nominated for a Nobel Prize? Why is it that no one had heard about him? I felt that it was time to bring his story to light and give him the recognition he deserved. I was eager, but also a bit naive. That's what I came to realize later. From my perspective, the way the facts and the leads came together kind of proves the underlying situation that Germany and the aristocracy and the wealthy elite of Sweden were very pro-German overall. The industrial ties to Germany were very strong, etc. And by the time Germany was beginning to be in trouble, they were working hard to erase those kind of relationships. So there's a lot of families that changed their names suddenly from German-oriented names to Swedish names, etc. So I think the part of that confusion historically is actually the fact that Sweden was playing the neutral part, but they were all but neutral. And when the wheels of the war turned against Germany, then they also changed their face towards the other countries and, and about who they were and why they were. But uh, when we were in Stockholm in hotel breakfast in the morning, there were a couple of guys standing there and taking photographs. Uh, I I do remember, but I I also remember that you were running on high gear when it comes to these kind of observations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the darker. Uh, possibilities, uh, which most of them turn out to be true at the end of the day, after years or decades. Uh, um, I wasn't, let's say, as worried about these type of details as you were. podcast is directed and realized by Arto Koskinen. Written by Arto Koskinen and John Bernstein. The voiceover of Arto Koskinen is dramatized by Trent Pansy. Sound design and music is made by Kimmo Vantinen.